This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest. Uh, I have invited Gretchen Rubin. She is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness in human nature. She is known for her ability to distill and convey complex ideas with humor and clarity in a way that's super accessible to a wide audience. And she's been massively impactful for me. She's been the author of many books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestseller, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project. She has an enormous readership, both print and online, and her books have sold over three and a half million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. Her, she has also a podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she discusses happiness, good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. She's been interviewed by Oprah, walked arm in arm with the Dalai Lama, and has been had her work written up in a medical journal, and she's been an answerer on the game show Jeopardy. In her work, Gretchen draws from cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from popular culture, and her own experiences to explore how we can make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. She actually started her career when she was clerking for a Supreme Court Justice, Sandra Day O'Connor, and she realized she wanted to be a writer. She was raised in Kansas City, and she now lives in New York City with her husband and her two daughters. And she's been particularly impactful in my life, and I just can't wait to have her here. Hey there. Hi, Gretchen. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Oh, I'm so good. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, we can dive right in. Your work has been like just super influential in my work. Actually, I read The Happiness Project when it first came out and the methodology of taking a problem in your own life and just going through and saying, you know what? I think there's an answer here that I haven't seen anywhere else before. And I'm gonna go through this and see what I can find. And then recording your experiences and sharing it, like that was, literally what I did to write my first book, This Naked Mind. And uh, of course, my experiences was about freeing myself from an alcohol addiction. But it was so like that model of just having the almost audacity to kind of do that was was just incredible and so groundbreaking for me. So just first of all, thank you so much. Oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. That's great to hear that the same approach works so well for you. That's terrific. Yeah, so could you sort of back up and, and I'm sure most people listening know you, but would you mind giving a synopsis of your story before we dive in? Yeah, well, um, I started my career in law actually, and I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court when um, I decided that I actually wanted to be a writer. 
And many people assume that The Happiness Project was my first book because that was sort of the book where I first came to public attention, I would say, in a significant way. But like many people, I worked like a dog for 10 years to become an overnight sensation. So The Happiness Project was actually my fourth book. I had been a working writer for many years before The Happiness Project came out. And with the Happiness Project, um, I did, I used myself as a guinea pig to study the ancient wisdom, cutting edge science, lessons from pop culture, my own experiences about how to be happier. And it turns out that the subject of happiness is so vast and so fascinating and inexhaustible that I've sort of just been, um, my, my large subject is human nature, but I've really been studying habits, um, happiness, and then that led me into habits, and that led me into the Four Tendencies Framework, which is a personality framework. I wrote a little book called Outer Order, Inner Calm about, like, the kind of, to me, surprising fact that, like, you can get this, many of us get a huge boost in happiness just from, like, cleaning out a closet, like, in a way that seemed very disproportionate to me, so that was, like, a little book about that. And then my next book is going to be about the five senses and how we can use the five senses to kind of give ourselves a sense of vitality and an engagement with the world and, and a boost in happiness. Um, and I have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where every week I talk about happiness with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, um, who's a TV writer. And um, yeah, so I love uh, connecting with people and talking about happiness. So thanks for having me. I love that so much. There's so many, many things that I want to touch on. Like, first of all, I, I think it, you know, your work really did give me permission to kind of lean into the part of myself that, you know, on a Saturday, if I felt like I hadn't had a very productive week, or I felt like things weren't going bad, just say, you know what, I need an hour to just do something like organize Legos, or, mm -hmm. you know, sort out my kids older clothes, and allowing that that was not only okay, but was one of the paths to kind of find some sense of order in the chaos was like really freeing for me. Yeah, I think it's surprising. I mean, that's what drew me to that, to, 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 to write that book, which is it's really disproportionate. It doesn't make sense, like what the boost that we can get. But so a friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like getting control over the stuff of our lives makes us feel like we have more control of our lives generally. And it's an illusion, but it's a very helpful illusion. I love that so much. Um, and then, so to the specific reason I have uh, invited you on, which I'm so excited about is I, uh, a few, I'd say it was like two and a half months ago. It was one of our first get togethers after everybody was vaccinated. People came over to the house for the first time. We're all so excited to see each other. And everybody obviously had changed a lot in the preceding 12 months. And my friend, Julie, she comes over and she says, have you guys taken the four tendencies quiz yet? And so we're all, we love quizzes. So we all sat around like five of us, you know, 40 year old women all took this quiz. We were all a different thing. Well, there was five of us. So two of us were rebels, but everybody else had a different tendency. Interesting. And that's the smallest <laughs> one. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it was so fascinating and so interesting. And so I started to think about, huh, I wonder how this really works with habit change. So I'm gonna give you just like the two, you know, 30 seconds on, on kind of this naked mind and how it works, because then I'd love to have a conversation about sort of the overlap and why what works for me not only doesn't work for everybody, but also works for a lot of people where something like more traditional, like AA didn't work. And right. I think there's some really rich conversation to be had about the tendencies in this idea of do we meet or not expectations internally and externally, and then how we go about changing our lives. So 
everybody's pretty familiar with AA and at least how it works uh, from what we see externally and going through the process. And there's a lot of, I'd say, external expectations in AA, right? And so you you sort of walk in the door, you get your first day chip. I've heard, um, I just heard it yesterday, someone was saying that every time they felt like they'd have a relapse, they'd find a new meeting. So you wouldn't have to go back to the old meeting to sort of, you know, go through that process of, of a bit of shame. And then you're really trying to start from day one. Often a sponsor might not want to work with you until you are fully committed to being alcohol free. And so that is very much like a lot of external pressure. And for me, I had been trying to set these rules on myself for like years and years and years. And so rules like, okay, I'm not going to um, drink until Thursday night. And then I'd break that rule or I, or I'd keep the rule and I'd be really upset if like, oh, you know, feeling deprived, feeling like I was missing out, just not having a good time, or I'm only going to have two glasses of wine. And then I'd wake up in the morning and be like, did I have four? Did I have five? What did I have? I don't even remember. And just started to lose faith in myself. So my journey was really unique in the sense that at one moment in time, I'd been asking myself the question, what's wrong with me for years and years and years? Do I have a problem asking myself the terrifying question? Am I an alcoholic? And in this moment of what I can only call like, you know, divine universe type inspiration, I asked a different question, which was, why? Why did I used to be able to take it or leave it? Why am I smart and in control in every other area of my life? I was a vice president managing 28 countries internationally. Like, why is this one thing so different? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to let myself drink whatever I want. I'm going to stop trying to stop or control my drinking, which was very rebellious, even though I didn't realize it at the time. And I'm just going to find out why. So two things, self-compassion. And I made a list of every single reason I drank. And I asked my friends every single reason they drank. And then I just started hitting the science, like all the studies that you can download and started really diving into, okay, does it do these things? Does alcohol actually relax me? Does it actually make things more fun? Does it actually, um, you know, loosen me up? Is it really good for social anxiety? All of these things. And over and over the science would show me like, no, that's not true. And so in hindsight, I see that instead of just taking the action, trying to change my behavior without any knowledge, without any change in emotion, which was not working. I had gotten all of this knowledge, which therefore changed how I felt about it. And therefore, when we feel like doing something, we actually do it as opposed to when we don't feel like it for the most part. And then when I changed my behavior, it was a completely different thing. So after about a year, I walked out of my office. I told my husband, if you want to drink with me again tonight, tonight, because after this, I'm no longer drinking. He's like, what? Who are you? What have you done with my wife? He didn't really believe me. But sure enough, that was um, almost seven years ago now. And, and then it was during that time where I, I started reading your work and it was so, so impactful in my life. And I saw, wow, we've, we've sort of done the same thing. I felt so kindred, but then those four tendencies came about and I was like, huh, I am, and you probably have guessed it, a rebel. And yeah. so I'm like, huh, okay, what is it? How interesting is it that I had to pave my own way as a rebel because internal and mm -hmm. external expectations wouldn't work. So I'd love for you to just bring your experience and wisdom to bear on that. This is so fascinating, I, I, and I, I think this is such an, a, a, a powerful example of how rebels can harness the power of the rebel tendency to do whatever they want. Um, I do think that the rebels are the most misunderstood of the other tendencies. They're the most different from the other tendencies. So I think a lot of really well-intentioned advice that might work for a lot of people doesn't work for rebels. Um, should I take a second and just kind of do an overview of the? Uh, yes. Of oh, what that they would are? be okay. great. So Please. then we'll yeah. just so people know what they are, they can kind of <laughs> identify themselves. 
So as you, uh, as you said, Annie, th this what we're looking at, it's how people respond to expectations, which sounds boring, but ends up being very juicy, as you pointed out. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline, inner expectations like um, I want to keep a New Year's resolution. Um, and depending on whether you meet or resist outer or inner expectations in combination, that's what makes you an upholder like me, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel like you. Um, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is, discipline is my freedom. They tend to love calendars, schedules, to-do lists, execution. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They're looking for reasons, justification, analysis. Uh, they love to customize. They're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. Their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Mm. Then there are obligers. This is the largest tendency for both men and women. This is the one the biggest number of people belong to. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So like I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said, it's so strange when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she showed up no problem, but she struggles when she goes on her own. Um, these are people who have who keep their promises to others, but have trouble keeping their promises to themselves. And the answer for them is accountability. They need outer accountability to meet even an inner expectation. What's a good example of outer accountability? AA. AA gives mm -hmm. you so much outer accountability. You're not just, a, and, and if you're a sponsor, you're an, you know, you're accountable. There's all different ways that it builds an out, uh, accountability. So their motto is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. Then there are rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. If you say it's doctor's orders, if it, you say you have to do this, if you point to a study and say, this is what you have to do. And typically rebels don't like to tell themselves what to do. Um, they don't like to say things like, I'm only gonna have one glass of wine because the minute they've given themselves a rule, they wanna break that rule. And what is their motto? You can't make me and neither can I. So for rebels, they have to go about it a different way. Now, this, uh, this is a very quick overview. So if, if people wanna take a quiz, um, I have a free quick quiz that 3 million people have taken at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. And so it'll give you an answer, kind of spit out. And I have a whole book about it, but, um, but most people know what they are pretty quickly. And as you were describing, I was like, oh yeah, rebel, rebel, rebel. Um, and the fact is you got there, you achieved your aim, but you did it in a rebel way. And things that work for other tendencies like didn't work for you. Yeah, and that's so fascinating because making rules for myself was almost one of the most painful moments in my life because I, how can I not like have congruency inside myself? I felt like there was so much cognitive dissonance with, okay, I, I, 
I, I make it, how can I not do what I say that I'm going to do? Like, it's fine if somebody else disappoints me, but then I was seeing myself disappoint myself over and over. But I still feel that that's true. The instant that I try to make a rule for myself around food or a rule for myself around exercise or, and so how I have to do it is I, it's almost, I don't know if it's a burden of proof that I have to provide myself that this is going to be beneficial to me in the longer term. I think can that's I, a big part of it. Can I, yeah. can I suggest a different way that might be the way, be what's working for you? Um, what's works for a lot of rebels and, and maybe you're one of these rebels is thinking about identity. This is who I am. This, I am, I'm an athlete. I'm a musician. I'm a creative person. I'm a responsible parent. I'm a person who looks after her body. Um, so it's this identity, tapping into this identity. And, and for rebels, it's what do you want? What do you want? You want to be relaxed. Are you feeling relaxed? You want to be free from social anxiety. Are you getting free from social anxiety? Is that what's happening to you? Because are you getting what you want? Um, another thing that rebels typically don't like is they don't like to feel controlled. They don't like to feel chained. They can often tap into that. The big food companies think that they can keep me addicted to their processed food. Yeah. They think that they've got me chained, but I'm free. I'm a person who respects her body or whatever. And so a lot of times this feeling of not wanting to be controlled or not being chained. Um, and another thing, and I think this is part of like what you were tapping into as well, is this idea of information consequences choice. The rebel gets the information they need. They think about the consequences of their action or inaction, and then they just decide what to do. And this is something that other people can do with rebels. They give them information, they let them know the consequences, and then they let them do what they want, like mm. let them know. And so it's kind of like, well, if you do it, this is what's going to happen. Is that what you want? Is that what you choose? And also, this isn't something that you mentioned, but maybe it, maybe it is kind of in the seven years, but a lot of times rebels love a challenge. And one of a lot of times a rebel, like I, I know a guy who quit smoking because his, like he'd been quit, you know, his wife had been trying to get him to quit for years. His doctor had been trying to quit, whatever. Um, and then finally his like 18 year old son was like, dad, I don't know why like an old guy like you even talks about quitting smoking. Like, there's no way you could quit smoking. You've been addicted <laughs> nice. too long. And the father was like, you think so? Watch me. And then he quit. And so it's this idea like, you think that I can't, you think that I can't wake up today. Like, you don't think I can say today, today's the last drink and tomorrow I stop forever. Watch me. Um, so there is a little bit of that to the rebel, like that kind of like, I can do anything once I decide that is what I want. Um, and this is why when other people can make it worse for rebels, because when they encourage, when they remind, when they nudge, um, even when sometimes when they praise, that feels like an aspect of control and that creates a spirit of resistance in the rebels sometimes. Sometimes with the rebel, you're better off just like staying, like just letting them do things in their own way in their own time. Oh, so much of that is true. I mean, first of all, right when I stopped and my husband literally didn't believe me. Right. And then I sent an email to my friends and family. I was like, yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. And my brother is like, well, that's super gutsy. See how long that lasts. And I was like, there you uh -huh. go. like there that you go. Like, would ring in my mind. <laughs> no, but see, and that, I mean, that feels dangerous. And a lot of times people are like, but aren't you being manipulative? Of the rubble? I don't know if you can hear it. There's like an oh, wow. crazy thunderstorm here. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Like we don't usually get that kind of thunder in New York City. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so... But a lot of times with a challenge, it's, it's, is it a challenge or is it information consequences choice? Like, given how much you love to drink, I really don't see you giving that up. 
And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's just the fact of it. And it's like, and if you do, if you're like, well, I'll show you, then that's just kind of the natural consequence of that sentiment. That's so fascinating. So fascinating. And I, I, yeah, that's amazing. So the other tendencies then, let's just kind of, if you don't mind, unpack how they best change. Um, Because I'll tell you a quick story. My, my, one of my close friends, Kendra, she just sort of went through this major health shift, I'd say four or five years ago, where all of a sudden she was working out once, sometimes twice a day. And, and she was so dedicated. And it was just like, no, on a dime. And when she took the test, we all thought that she was going to be an obliger. I mean, not an obliger. We thought that she was going to be um, the one that does internal expectations. But and she wasn't, she was an obliger. So, mm-hmm. so she was external expectations, but not internal expectations. Yeah. And And we were surprised and she was like, no, that really makes sense to me because actually my decision about exercise and really taking care of my body came about because I realized I am, you know, CEO of this business. And if I don't take care of my body, my business is going to fail. I'm parent to this child. If I don't take care of my body, I'm going to over, like, I will let down him. I'll let down my husband. And so she had actually created all of this external expectation for something that from the outside appeared like Kendra is just the most self-driven, most motivated human I know. Well, and that's a great example of the fact that you can't look and look at what someone does typically and know their tendency because you don't know what's going on in their mind. So for example, like I'm an upholder, which readily meets outer and inner expectation. And I eat a very, very low carb diet. I'm just, I'm one of those people that just quit sugar and like, you can't believe what I don't eat. And, and, and I eat, the, and I kind of find that satisfying as an upholder. Um, I like love kind of executing on that, but I have a good friend who's a rebel and he eats exactly the same way I do. And he's just more like, you know, you think that I'm going to like fall for that. And, you know, I'm free from sugar and like those cravings and, um, and so looking at us, we behave the same way, but are be, but it's coming from a very different place. Or like, you know, you have two children who aren't doing their homework. Well, one is a rebel that's like saying, well, you can't tell me what to do. And the other one's a questioner being like, this is a dumb assignment. You know that I read the book. Why do I have to write a book report? There's the same behavior. But if I'm the teacher, or I'm the parent trying to get them to do that homework, I would speak to a rebel and I would speak to a questioner in a different way because their behavior is rooted in from a different perspective. Um, so, right. So your friend, she might look like an upholder, but what she's just done is very wisely built in all kinds of structures of accountability, duty to others, duty to be a role model, duty to her future self, duty to her company and people relying on her, um, to, uh, to, to give her the outer accountability that she needed to, to keep up with those good habits. And so basically the better you understand this motivation, the better you can create structure that allows you to change the habit you want to change. Absolutely. hundred percent. That is, I mean, that's the key thing. And also if you understand other people's tendencies, then you can help set up situations for them to succeed. Because the fact is, if I, if I'm dealing with an obliger, I'm going to behave very differently than I would with a rebel because they just, they just see the world in a very different ways and they respond very differently, even to something like an email. Um, like if I know someone's tendency, I will definitely speak to them in a different way because I know that they will respond to different kinds of like language, um, which sounds really complicated, but actually it's not. These are very blatant. Like one, I mean, it's like you and your friends. Once you know about these, you see them. I can do the Game of Thrones characters. We, I can do Parks and Rec characters, movies, books. Like they're very, they're not hard to spot once you know what to look for. Oh, that's so interesting. So if you are 
we talked a little bit about a rebel and, and the idea of changing with identity and changing with almost a challenge. And I really relate. I mean, a, a big part of my first book, This Naked Mind, is just deconstructing uh, the societal influences and how we've really been duped and how advertisers are, you know, coming with all of these big ticket commercials in order to convince us that alcohol is beneficial in our lives and and all of that sort of stuff which gave me so much juice to change but but it's interesting like how to understand it because i mean and somebody could disagree but one person might say oh i'm i've become very informed that's why i'm changing and i'm saying mm -hmm. no what i'm hearing you saying is i i refuse to be controlled yes yes that's very Whereas much a questioner my... might be like i've read the data i've read the research this is what they've done for them, it's much more about the justification, but for you, but I think for the rebel, it's much more about um, the independence, you know, the freedom, the choice. Mm -hmm. That's what is like the powerful um, element. So for a rebel, it's getting in touch with like identity, independence, yes. refusing yeah. to be controlled. Yes. Um, challenge in, in some degree. And, and what you want, what do you and want? What you want. Because look, if you want to be successful, if you want to be respected, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be strong, if you want to be creative, if you want people to admire your work, like, what are you going to do? What does that lead you to? Well, a lot of times it leads you right to the thing that the upholder would do. You get, you're doing the same thing, but you're doing with that rebel power. And it comes from like that, that rebel place. Mm, that's so interesting. And so then a questioner who is really going to adhere to their internal expectations, but not yeah. necessarily to the world's expectations yes. of them, what are some of the key things that motivate them to change their habits and behavior? So for questioners, it's always why. They have to know why they're doing something. And, and, and it's funny because one of the ways you can spot a questioner is like anytime somebody talks about things being arbitrary, that's a big flash that they might be a questioner because many things seem arbitrary to a questioner. So if to a questioner, it's like you have to be able to, if you're making a demand on them, you have to explain why. So if I'm like, if I'm a doctor and I'm like, okay, Annie, you need to take this medication um, before breakfast every morning. And you're like, and you, you know, you might feel like, well, that's not arbitrary, right? Like you have to, and you'd be like, why in the morning? Why before breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I like to take all my medication at one time at night before I go to bed. That's what works for me. Like you haven't explained anything to me. This is like, what, this is just nonsense. You're just giving me these empty rules. But if I said like, hey, this, 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 this shows it's more effective. This shows it can make you sick if you've got an empty stomach. This shows that it's more, you know, then they're like, okay, I'll do it. And then they get on board, no problem. Yeah, so for a question and you want to explain why, and the more rules like feel like, like blanket, because they tend to love to customize because they're like, well, you and I are different. Why would the rule that, why do, you, why do we all drive 65 miles per hour? Seriously, this is the thing that many questioners like fuss about. I'm a good driver, you're a bad driver. Why are we driving in the same speed limit, you know? Um, and so the more, so, so programs that are very like one size fits all and like there's no conversation about why this is um, tend to like can create resistance in questioners because they're like, it's not enough to say we've always done it this way or I'm the expert or um, because I said so, that's very illegitimate to questioners. So you wanna explain why, why are we doing this way? We, and, and sometimes it's just that we've seen that this works. We don't even really know why this works, but we've seen through time that this is effective or this is effective with many people, but not everyone. You could try it 
and experiment. And maybe it will work for you, but even if it doesn't, you learn something about yourself because a lot of times they're interested in like learning and kind of like optimizing. And so presenting something is like, well, this is this could present a data point that can often be helpful for questioners or like this is efficient. This is a very efficient way to do it. It's not efficient. You can keep researching all the different ways to do it, but at some point, don't get it perfect, get it started, like get something going and like work from there. That's how you would, you would for, so for questioners, you really want to think about reasons, justifications, customization, why. That's so what so they find persuasive. So fascinating because my best friend, Chelsea, she's a questioner mm. and she will like just all of the sudden get her teeth into something. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like, there's no deterring her from whatever that is. And, and she goes from being this very like peaceful sort of like kumbaya life is, is <laughs> to like, no, I'm running this marathon and like, I'm getting up at six and I'm like, who are you? What, what just happened? And it's like, somehow she has just found her button. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, so that's the thing about questioners. Again, they have tremendous power in the questioner tendency. And like once they find that reason to do it, like they they will go. And the fact is, it, it, but if they don't find that reason, they won't often. And like I've heard stories like from workplaces where people are like, well, I just didn't think that corporate explained why we should swift, switch to that other accounting software program. So I just didn't do it. And I'm like, well, that's not very helpful because now, I mean, that we can't have that like one random, you know, so you got to take the time to bring the questioners on board. And then sometimes you have children who are questioners and, and they can, and, and adults too. They, people feel like they ask too many questions. They can drain and overwhelm others with their questions. And also kind of with their, and upholders do this too, like as with your friend, this kind of like, it almost, it, others often call it rigidity because it's just like, I'm laser focused on what I'm expecting for myself. And even if it's not convenient for you, what are you going to do? I'm training for the marathon or whatever. And I just, I got to do it. And, um, and other people are like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? But to the, to the inner expectation, it feels very, very powerful to the questioner and the upholder. That's so fascinating. Cause she is so low key until something is mm -hmm. on and then it's just really on. So we, I have something called the alcohol experiment, which is like a 30 day challenge. And, and the whole thing is just like, because this naked mind, it's, it's not about getting sober. It's about finding freedom, whatever that means yeah. to you. So freedom oh, see, could there drink. be a more rebel <laughs> um, way to put it? Right. Oh, yeah. It's so true. Now that you, it's, I love this sort of perspective shift and you're like, oh yeah, that all fits. But it is really interesting, I think, to a lot of questioners because they're like, okay, 30 days, that will give me data. Like I'll, yes. I'll see how I feel. I'll, I'll hack, I'll do biohacking. Yes. No, right. I'm sure that's right. That's and so I'll, and I'll measure how it is and I'll monitor myself and yeah, absolutely. That's great. Now they may, they may push back on the 30. Why 30? Oh yeah. Why right. not? And it's like, you just have an answer for that, you know? That's so, so interesting. So what about, um, mo it, it would seem to me, and I could be totally off base here, but the person who probably has the easiest time changing their behavior or habit would be the upholder. Is that true or not true? It does tend to be true. Um, upholders tend to find it pretty easy. They also like gravitate to tools like to-do lists, calendars, um, if something's on the calendar, they follow through with it. So, and, and they, they enjoy it. Like, you know, the, the motto is discipline is my freedom. And so um, I remember when I was writing my book about habits, I was talking to some, I, at the time I didn't know she was a rebel because I hadn't come up with the four tendencies yet. But when I told her I was writing a book about habits, 
she literally took a step back from me because to her, the idea was so loathsome. And she was like, why would you write a book about habits? And I'm like, I love the idea of habits. To me, they're like exciting and energizing and like delicious. Um, and that was part of how I was like, mm, people feel differently about this. Um, but here's something, this is incredibly unscientific. So I just throw it out here as anecdata. So I have this big quiz, um, which is not scientific questioners. I know you're gonna tell me about selection bias. I know all about selection bias. So I didn't use my, my 3 million people who took the quiz. I actually paid to have a representative sample done of the four tendencies. And just kind of as an afterthought, I added a few questions at the end. And one of the questions that I asked, just cause I was curious to see if I could discern any patterns. One of the questions was, have you struggled with addiction? And I didn't describe what addiction was. If you even accept that there is addiction, some people argue against it. I didn't give examples of addiction. I just said, have you struggled with addiction? And I could imagine, and I've had people email me with sort of different theories about who they think would say, would be the most likely. What did not surprise me, though I was surprised until I realized that I was not surprised, is that what, what you see is that a that questioners, obligers, and rebels all gave basically the same percentage of, yes, I have struggled with addiction. But being an upholder seemed to make it less likely. Some mm. upholders did say they had struggled with addiction, but fewer, like noticeably fewer, had said that. And so I think there was something about upholders where if they're trying to control a, a habitual behavior, that seems indeed to come more easily to upholders. Now, they have other issues like, I think if you see pathologies of control going out of control, I've never studied that, but it would not surprise me to see that being very kind of upholdery because that goes to like the upholder way of thinking. I'm going to control, I'm going to over control something. But if it's something like I need to like get control of this because um, it's kind of out of my control, then probably upholders like do find that to be easier to manage. That is so fascinating. So I feel like in, in sort of the spectrum of how it patterns out for just, you know, the thousands of people that I've now seen is very much that usually somebody outside of yourself is starting to notice, mention, nudge, hint that yeah. hmm, this is a little bit more than we'd hoped or, mm -hmm. or you're really willing to sort of say, hey, yeah, this might be a problem. And so perhaps for the upholder, that would be louder. There would yes. be a, a higher volume to the opinions around. I mean, I remember with my husband, he was like, huh, should we take a day off? And I'd be like, what? You're trying to control me? Like, of course, yes. I had very right. rebel uh, reaction. But why why then would not the obliger, I, that is surprising to me that the obliger would not have been equally. Ah, well, the thing is I would say for about the upholders is probably inner expectations are also prompting them to want to get a, to get mm -hmm. a handle on it because like I got to get up in the morning and go running at 6 a.m. And if I drink, I can't do that. And that's really, really makes me uneasy. I don't like the fact that I'm not staying on track. Um, and if I make a rule for myself, I like keeping the rule for myself. So if I make a rule, I'm only gonna have one drink on the weekends when I'm out with friends, like that kind of comes naturally to me. I gravitate to a rule like that. And so it isn't just the outer expectation, it's the inner expectation. And then when you go to the obligers, they don't have that inner expectation to counterbalance them, but they feel the weight of the outer expectation. And many times obligers will say things like, you know, how can I, if, if other people are like, well, it's no fun if you're not drinking, and like, how can I go, how can I go out with my friends and not have a drink? And I'm like, by just saying I'm ordering a Diet Coke, like, I don't know, you know? 
do they care? But to an obliger, that right. that expectation. And then, of course, sometimes people maybe even just feeling like they're being friendly or being nice. Oh, come on, have another one. Oh, let me fill up your glass. Oh, come on, we're all going out. Or you so say you want boomerang. Yeah, the right, other way. Right. No, no, because the weight of outer expectations is 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 kind of keeping them going in that habit. Now, but if somebody is, but and if you were could deal with an obliger, you would want to very specifically. So, because if you're not an obliger, you might say things like, I feel like you're, you feel tired in the morning. Well, the obliger's like, well, that doesn't, that's not significant to me. But if it's like, um, you know, I think our child is starting to worry about like whether he can rely on you to pick him up on time. Like, ooh, to an obliger, that's like very upsetting. I've just disappointed an outer expectation or I'm worried about you. I can't sleep at night because I'm worried about you. Now it's an outer expectation because um, because it's coming to me from the outside. It's not presented to me as something that is just like for, for myself. But here's the other complicating factor. Often sweethearts do not make good sources of outer expectations and they don't make good accountability partners and they often are ignored for a very romantic reason. Oh, honey, I love you. I love you so much. You're like me. And so I'm going to ignore you the way I would ignore me. So it's very typical that an obliger would like completely ignore or dismiss warnings or or um, a caution coming from a sweetheart. And then when a doctor or a friend or a child says something or like a, or like a boss, then they really uh, pay attention. And sometimes this makes the sweetheart feel complete like. I don't understand it. Like they didn't care at all what I said. Like, I've been saying this for years. They didn't pay any attention to me. They don't care what I think. Um, no, it's not that they don't care what you think. It's that they love you so much. You're too close. Yes. You've moved into the inner place. And so your, your, your caution is falling on deaf ears, but not out of lack of attention, but just because you, you are so close. You're so inner, you've moved into that inner place. So sometimes that can comfort people who feel like they're, they're confused and, and, and hurt when the, when things said by outsiders seem to carry so much more weight than what um, a true intimate has said. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that is, I've seen that a lot of times where people are like, well, you listen to me last. You listen to everybody yeah. else first. I've been yes. saying this for years, but you listen to me last and, and they take it as offense. Almost. No, and, and it's and it's kind of annoying, obviously, if you're the <laughs> sweetheart, but, but you don't have to take it personally. It's just kind of a result of how the tendencies work in our heads. And so I think, no, well, I'll give you an example from my life. So my husband's a questioner. And one of the things about questioners is they often don't like to answer questions. It's just like a weird aspect, quirky aspect of that tendency. And it used, and he doesn't answer my questions, even things like, what are you making for dinner? You won't, he'll say food. And I used to think that that was just like, he just did this to like jerk my chain or something like that. And it would just really annoy me that he would sort of just poke me like that. And now I realize it's just a questioner. Some questioners are like this. It has nothing to do with me. It's just, and so I don't take it personally. I still find it a little bit annoying, but I'm not hurt by it. I don't feel like it's about me. It's just about, nah, this is the thing that questioners do. Oh, that's so you know, there it is. That's so interesting. Uh, back to the obligers and how they yeah. change a little bit. I um, I remember this very vividly. And I now that you've said it, it makes so much sense. But I remember a woman who she, she didn't drink for years and years and years because her peer group didn't drink. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she moved cities and she was in a different peer group. And all of this, like 
it was like off the rails. And I was like, what happened there? But that makes so much sense. And she is absolutely an obliger. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was that fitting in keeping up with the Joneses sort of mentality that in one place she was keeping up with like this very alcohol free lifestyle. And then in this other place, she was keeping up with this very boozy lifestyle. Neither one was really her like intimate choice or anything. She was just kind of going along with, with what everybody was doing. Well, and I, I think that's a great example of like, we want to be very purposeful and intentional and kind of, and, and like notice what we're doing in our own patterns so that we're not just controlled by what's happening around us, but that we're really deciding this works for me or this doesn't work for me. Um, so if you're pe- an obliger are different. Yeah. and you are in a situation where everybody is drinking and you've really decided, okay, I think this is not good for me for whatever reason, how do you, how do you motivate and manage yourself to be able to go against the grain when it's so strong for you? Well, one thing is I never use the word motivation because to me, the word motivation is very confusing because it kind of conflates two very different things. One is your desire for an outcome. And one is your willingness to do things in pursuit of that outcome. Because I can be intensely motivated not to drink and yet I'm drinking. So am I motivated not to drink or not? Like to me, it's confusing. So you talk about like, well, what you want, I don't want to drink. What are you doing? Okay, so what can you do if you don't want to do that? now? If you're an obliger and you feel the weight about our expectations, that probably is going to be very painful to you. You're going to like, you're going to, you're going to like have, you're going to feel some uneasiness. So what, what can you do? Um, Now, some people say you shouldn't outright lie. I'm a fan of like, if it works for you, that's fine. So one thing sometimes obligers will do is they're like, oh, you know, I'm on this new medication and I'm not supposed to drink. Or you can, um, you know, a lot of times people understand that people do these challenges. You can be like, oh, you know what? I'm doing a challenge. uh, So like, help me keep up my, you know, I don't want to break the chain. So help me keep it up. People tend to be very understanding of that. Um, Often obligers will actually use um, peer groups in order to keep them, keep themselves. Like they'll announce to Mm -hmm. everyone like, hey, I'm doing dry January. So like, help me do it. Or, um, you know, like announcing on social media or whatever. My sister is a, uh, is a TV writer and showrunner in Hollywood and um, they have just like crazy food. Like you can't even believe the junk food they have around. And she's a type one diabetic. So one of the things she does is she like the first day whenever there's like a whole new, you know, cause she, they change jobs all the time. Whenever she's with a whole new group, she'll say, I just want you to know, I don't eat any of the food in the kitchen. I bring my own food from home. I don't eat this stuff. Like, so you don't have to think about like, do I want pretzels or like, you know, what kind of chips I like? Cause I'm not gonna eat it. And she does that not because they care, which they don't, but because she wants to create the sense of like, what is Elizabeth going to eat that stuff? Cause she said she wasn't going to like, it creates mm. to her a sense of accountability. So sometimes you can kind of recruit people to do that to you for you. Um, and you can also think about accountability. Like sometimes it's helpful for obligers to realize like you're going to have to say no to someone, right? And so let's say, let's say your family is like really pleased to hear that you're, you're, you, you, you're, you're going to drink less. You're going to dial it back for a while. They're really excited about that. They think that's really good for you. That's their expectation. Now you're facing like a more immediate expectation because you're out with these friends, but you want to like surface that tension in your mind. You have to say no to someone. Who do you choose to say no to someone? Because that's your value and that's your choice. You're going to, are you going to say, no to your friends so you can say yes to your family or are you going to say yes to your uh your family so you can and which means you have to say no to your friends now i will say sometimes to the other tendencies they don't like thinking like this they feel like you shouldn't think like this you should do it for yourself mm-hmm. and as an upholder i used to say that to, to obligers i'm like don't do it for other people do it because it's what is right for you 
And finally, I realized that's not helpful for obligers. They actually right. will invoke this idea, something like put on your own oxygen mask first so you can help others. That's a powerful idea for them. Let, lean into that idea. Um, I need to be a good role model. I want to show others that I can keep promises to myself. I want to show, I want to model good, uh, I, I want to model the kind of person who can say yes and say no, and you know, who's not controlled by peer pressure. Um, and and uh, different obligers, uh, different things work for different obligers. So you really want to think about, about it. And one very helpful question is to say to yourself, is there a time when I succeeded in the past? Hmm. Because often there are clues in the past. If you're like, well, I you know, when I was with my friends in college, I never, they would go out and they would go drinking and I never felt any pressure to drink. What was different about that? Why, why, would, why in that circumstance? And you'd be like, oh, because I was on the track team. So they never thought it was funny that I wasn't drinking. Even when it wasn't in the season, they just sort of accepted that. It's like, oh, okay. Well, maybe some kind of physical training is something you feel comfortable with. Well, maybe there's something you could you could you could draw on that in your current life. Um, look to the past because often that's that that is very fruitful as you're trying to understand how to ne negotiate the challenges of the present. No, oh, I love that so much. I love that like that idea of almost invoking positive peer pressure and then really yes. determining intentionally yes. which microphones are you going to turn up yes. and down. That's and a great metaphor. Like yes. Who, yes, right. Which it's one's going to align with with what ultimately, um, you know, the outcome that what do you want? Oh, this has been so amazing. Just quickly before we wrap up, how how was it that you came? I mean, it's there. There's so much wisdom in this, Gretchen. It's it's just such a beautiful uh, framework for people to understand themselves and understand others. And how did it come to you? Listen, it just about melted my brain. I mean, it's the <laughs> hardest intellectual exercise. Um, I was writing Better Than Before, which is my book about habit change. Yeah. And I was identifying, I finally, in the end, I found 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. But as I was looking at it, I just started noticing patterns that didn't make sense to me about the way people responded to the idea of habits or like the idea of New Year's resolutions. Like there was a group of people, I would often say to people, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions just as a way to get them talking about their habits. And a group of people would say, I would keep a, I would keep a resolution whenever it made sense to me, but I wouldn't keep a resolution on January 1st, wouldn't make it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. Okay, I'll give you one question. I find out later, that's a questioner thing, right? They don't like the arbitrariness of January 1st. So, but why were some people saying this and like never bothered me? And, um, and, and so, and then I started seeing how people would describe their challenges or like when they easily could or couldn't do it. And I was sitting right here, right where I'm sitting right this second. And I, all of a sudden it like burst out of the page at me. It was, it was just the idea of expectations. And once I understood expectations, then I was like, but there are inner expectations and outer expectations. And that was the key. It was the key to understand that that was the distinction and then how, whether somebody met it or resisted it. And it was just, it was the most beautiful. It was like, it was like, I can only compare it to like, if you, if you discovered the periodic table of the elements or something, right. because Which it had, the, it, it had, yes, it had the symmetry of nature. Like every, it's like a Venn diagram of four overlocking circles in a diamond shape and everything connects to everything and everything's in its place. And I just kept thinking of pattern after pattern after pattern and how they fit in 
and kind of the the varieties within a single tendency because some rebels tend to le lean to questioner which i think you're a rebel who leans to questioner some rebels lead to obliger so they have kind of a different flavor to their tendency like it all started to make sense it just like it came together um it, it was a moment of like extraordinary uh intellectual satisfaction i have to say oh, but it, it 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 like i had the steam coming out of my ears because it was a lot I, I i still am kind of amazed that i got there given all the patterns that i i i didn't know what they meant i just was trying to fit them fit them into some kind of pattern oh that's so amazing somebody asked me recently they're like what what is it that like you do in life that makes you feel most alive and i think they were expecting like you know skiing or hanging yeah. out with my kids i was like figuring something out yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's like you walk around with this, like, I think even having an original thought, I mean, I'm like, I had a thought today. It's like circle that one in red because you don't often have an original thought. And um, yeah, I completely agree. There's nothing. And that's why I write because the only way I can have new thoughts or anything is by writing. That's the only way I can think. Um, but I agree. Yeah. Figuring something out. Nothing, nothing as good as that. Well, your work is such a gift, Gretchen. I just, and I so much appreciate your time and your influence on my life. And just, this is just amazing. So thank you so very, very much. Well, thank you so much. I so enjoyed our conversation. We're interested in so many of the same things. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. Hi, super exciting news. So the alcohol experiment book is being released, actually got released just a few days ago with the expanded edition. What does expanded edition mean? It means that every single day throughout the book, there are deep reflective journal entries that have been added with space to write, which is so cool and so exciting. So you really make it your own. And the reason I did this is because I truly believe that the deepest wisdom you will access throughout the 30 days of the alcohol experiment comes from within you. You know more about what's best for you than anybody else in the entire world. And I know sometimes that can be hard to believe, but when you really access your own wisdom, it is so profound. So you can pick up your own copy at alcoholexperimentbook.com and check it out. It's really powerful. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.